Father, we are here today and we desire to listen to you. We desire to have space here where we can know you and grow in our love for you and grow in our understanding of your love for us. God, I thank you for each person that you brought here believing that it's not an accident that these people here, believing that you brought these people here, whether that's online or in person, that every person that's here, you wanted them to listen to what you have to say today. God, you're a God that continues to communicate, that continues to speak. You know the, the issues, the struggles, the sufferings, the, the anxieties, the relationship problems, the longings and desires. You know all of the stuff that we bring with us here today, and you want to communicate to us. You want to speak with us. Father, I also think just as we are in a time where our national election and local elections are getting to the place of completion in the next few days here, God, I pray that you would, as we know that you do, that you are the sovereign king that orchestrates your will. We ask that your will would be done from the, the greatest level of politics to the lowest ballot measure that there might be. We ask that your will would be done. Just as you taught us to pray, Jesus, that as it is in heaven, that it would be on earth. May your kingdom come. So we ask that you would work those things out. Father, I pray that you would help our hearts to trust in you. For those especially that may be anxious around this political season and wanting their candidate or their ballot measure or whatever it is to, to move forward, God, would you allow our hearts to trust that you are king? Whatever outcome happens, whatever takes place in the next couple days, Father, may we trust that you are ultimately the king and that though there are many things that we do not understand, that you are good and your will is good. Help us to trust you, to trust that. And Father, for those of us that are Christians in this church and in your church throughout Colorado, throughout the nation, Lord, may we be bound by our love for one another. We are always going to have differences in how we view things. We are always going to have political differences and different opinions. And Lord, may that not get in the way of the love that we have for each other. Help us to be able to disagree with grace. Help us to be able to treat with empathy and respect those that differ from us. Help us to seek to understand instead of judge. Help us to Understand that our primary identity and reality is as your children and as citizens of your kingdom. Let not political affiliation or desire get in the way of real and genuine and the most deepest reality of who we are. Let our love cover every difference that we have. Lord, let that be true of our church and the church throughout, as we know that in a few days, some people are going to be upset and some people are going to be joyful. But let our ultimate joy and our ultimate confidence be in you. 
not just in some abstract way where we say that that is true, but let that be what profoundly affects us this week in our interactions with everyone. So God, as we come to your word, would you shape us as a community? Would you speak to us? Would you let us hear the words that we need to hear most? Let me speak your word truthfully and faithfully and let it be helpful for us together. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We are in a series talking about the greater things that God wants to do in our life. We believe that there is always more. If God is an infinite God, and he is, if God's an infinite God and there's more and more of him, then there's more and more of him that we can experience and more and more that he wants for us in our life. And we believe that there's greater things that God has in store for us. That whether you've been a Christian your entire life, there's still more. You haven't peaked. You haven't capped. You haven't reached the end. There's more that God wants to do in you, more that God wants to do through you. And maybe you're just starting out the journey. You're just beginning. Maybe you're just exploring the faith. You're just kind of trying to figure these things out. There is more that God has in store for you as well. Especially for those of you that are, have just become Christians, you have maybe seen a lot of life one way and God would say, I've got better in store for you. I've got greater in store for you. With your faith, with your relationships, with your emotions, with all of it. And we've talked about a lot already, but there is always more that God wants to do. And there's a lot of talk. Today we're going to talk about a community. There's a lot of talk about relationships. There's a lot of talk about friendships and community. For some of you that are new to Denver, maybe that's fresh on your mind that you have thought, man, I, I want to make friends. I, I'm in a new place and a new city and a new community. I want to be able to form friendships and, and maybe you've left some close friendships and so you want to begin to start new ones. Sometimes we think about it more in terms of family, whether you're thinking about relationships and community with marriage or parenting and beginning some of those relationships. Uh, maybe it's just that you've, even with the, the pandemic, as people have had to be distanced and isolated, you've felt the need for community more prominently, or maybe you've rejoiced in what you have. You've experienced a community during this season and have felt, man, I'm so thankful for what I do have. I'm so thankful for the community and the friendships and the relationships that I have. Without them, I wouldn't be able to get through this. So we're, there's a lot of talk about community. And, and one of the important ideas that we need to understand that maybe some of us know and maybe some of us uh, intuitively experience, but the quality of our relationships will be the quality of our life. That's true in so many ways, that the quality of our relationships will be the quality of our life. You might have, you might have the best job in the world, but if you have an awful boss, you, you're going to hate it. You might have the best job in the world, but if your coworkers are, are not the kind of people you want to work with, you will hate it. That the quality of our relationships determines the quality of our life in so many aspects, and God wants to speak into that. We want community. We want friendships. We want relationships. How do we experience what God desires for us to experience in that? And so we're going to kind of take a little bit of a big picture with this, but I want to explore together God's vision for 
community. And, and really, we're just going to start with this. What is community? Or another way that I want to kind of frame that is just what is the church? What is the church? And many times when we think about the church, we may think of a building. Now, this is not anything what our church building looks like. Um, you probably don't think of this kind of building when you normally think of church. But many times when people think about what the church is or what a church community is, they think about a building. When you think about what church is, you might think of rituals and certain things that happen there, which is true. You may think of baptism or communion or certain things. Sometimes if you were to ask people, what, what comes to your mind when you think of church? You, you may think of um, kind of traditions and uh, beliefs, and all of that has some truth. Sometimes we also think of this, and, and I think um, maybe if, even if you've been coming to True Life for a while, you may think of church or, uh, or, or community as a collection of individuals, that what the church is, is a collection, and it's even kind of easy to think about that right now when we're all in our, our little separated groups, but what the church is, is a community of individuals. It's a group of individuals that come together, and you're here, and you're here, and you're here, but you're really here as an individual that's coming to receive the growth that you want to receive for you, and what's the greater things that God wants to do in your life. And we can view it very individualistically. But in the Bible, what the church is or what community is, is a family. It is a new people that's made. When the Bible talks about community, it is talking not just about a bunch of individuals that happen to be in the same room, but really it's talking about a family. It's talking about an entirely new people or even a new identity that we have. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, which is a famous chapter in the Bible. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to focus in on one section, but I want to give you a little bit about where it leads up. What happens is that Jesus leaves and he sends the Holy Spirit. And the apostles and some of the other early church followers, there was about 120 of them. They're in a room. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then Peter preaches to a group, a large group, thousands of people. He preaches to them and he tells them about Jesus. He tells them who Jesus is and what Jesus did. He tells them that Jesus is the Messiah that they had been waiting for, and yet they crucified him. That God sent Jesus into this world to bring salvation, that God himself entered into the world to become human and call humans to himself, to give them life, to give them forgiveness, to give them eternity with him. And yet they crucified him. So Peter preaches this sermon, and what happens is the people respond. They, they are cut to the heart, it says, and they ask Peter, what do we do? Now, this helps us understand what community is or really what the church is. Because oftentimes, what we might think that the answer would be, and especially in America in 2020, that what we might think the answer would be is if you hear a sermon and you hear someone say, here's who Jesus is, here's what he's done, you, you're a sinner and you need salvation, we might think the response is, okay, I, I need to get right with God. Sometimes we even use that language. Or we might think that the response is, okay, I need to come forward and give my life to Jesus and then have a relationship with Jesus. Now there's some truth to that, but that's not what happens here. 
And it helps us understand what the church is. It helps us understand what community is. So here's what happens. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you just take that, that's often, I think, how we conceive of it. Okay, that might sound kind of individualistic. Say, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, you need to be forgiven, then you will receive the Holy Spirit. The end. But here's what happens next. For the Peter says this, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So what you see happen is this, and this is what community is, this is what the church is. What happens is a new people gets created. A new family gets created. It's not just that they respond and then everyone goes on their way. They go home and they, and maybe, I don't know if you've ever been to one of these big giant rallies before, but they give you a little Bible. They give you a devotional, say, okay, you responded to Jesus. Here you go. Enjoy your life. That's not what happens. What happens is they respond to God and the immediate result of that, the immediate effect of that is that they become a new people. Peter even uses the language, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And a generation is a people group in a certain time. And he's saying, save yourself from this corrupt generation and in effect, become a part of a new generation, a new people, no longer a part of this corrupt generation people, but become a part of a new people, which is what they do. It says that they respond and they are added to them, that they respond to God. And in responding to God, the immediate result is that they are added to a community of people. And then it uses this word fellowship, which in the Greek is koinonia, which is where all throughout the New Testament, it's translated sometimes differently as partnership or sharing or fellowship or community. And it means sharing. It means deep sharing, deep participation or community. We looked at this when we talked about what God desires for us to experience with him. That he says, I want you to experience fellowship with me. And that same word, koinonia, is used here to say what happens is not just an individual private transaction with God. What happens is, in hearing the sermon, in responding, what should we do? What should we do? The answer, the result, is that God forms a community, that God forms a family. Now, this has always been God's intention. We're just looking at one little passage here, but all throughout the Bible, this is what God has always been doing. God has not been in the business of just saving individuals. What God has always been doing is creating a family. He's always been creating a people for his own possession. That's how Peter says it. Or a new kingdom or a new nation. That what God is doing is creating a family. That's the the favorite metaphor of the New Testament authors of what the church is, is a family. That it's all the time addressed as brothers, brothers and sisters. That what God has always been doing from the very beginning and what we see happen here 
is that God is creating a family. He's creating that word koinonia, a group that really belongs to one another. I mean, the Bible even uses that language, which is, which is more than we just think of a collection of individuals. Later, the Bible uses the language of the body of Christ and says, you are members of each other, which means you belong to one another. You are not just private individuals that happen to be in the same space, in the same room, listening to the same teaching. You actually belong to one another, the same way that this hand belongs to this arm. God says the church is a body. You belong to one another. A family of people that are united in koinonia or sharing or fellowship or partnership. That's always been God's plan. So what is community? Listen, I don't know how you think of the church, I don't know how you think of what community is, but if you don't understand it in this way, then you will miss out deeply on what God wants to do. If you don't understand community in this way, this deep belonging, familial sharing, you will miss out on what God has been doing from the beginning of time and what God wants to do in your life. If faith for us is just me and God and how do I respond to him between him and I, you will miss out on what God wants to do because God is saying, here's what I'm doing. I'm creating a family. I'm creating a group of people that are koinonia, that are sharing. I'm creating a group of people that belong to each other. And if you say, okay, that's fine, but I just want to have this relationship with you where I respond to you and I listen to you and I repent to you, you will severely miss out on the greater things that God desires to do. So that is what community is. It's a group of people that belong together, that are sharing in life with each other. Why do we need it? Why do we need it? I'm, I'm, I'm up here saying it's important. It's what God's plan is. It's what he designs and desires to do. It's what he wants to do in your life. It's what he wants to do in my life. This is what God is about. Why do we need it? Now, I could, I could give you a, a million reasons, but I'm going to keep it to 900 because um, of time. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just going to give you two. I, I think these are two important reasons that we can see from this passage. Why do we need community? So, listen, I don't, I don't know how you're hearing this today. Maybe you're in community and you have it and you enjoy it, but I think a lot of times we need to be reminded. Why, so why are we even doing this? Even to think about why are we, why is this so important to us. Like, who cares? Why not just say, all right, government, call us in two years when, when everything can be back to normal. Like, why are we even fighting to be, and I don't mean fighting like fighting the government, but just why are we willing to wear masks and willing to be distant and willing to have, you know, weird technology? Like, why are we fighting to have community? Why does it matter so much? Maybe you have it, but it's helpful to be reminded, why do we need this? Or, or maybe you don't. Maybe you're kind of unsure. You're on the fence. And I don't, maybe some of you are new and you're visiting and, and, and church and all that is you're interested in growing in your relationship with God. But why do we need community? Let me give you two big kind of overarching things. The first is this. In the Christian life, there's a lot of hopes that we have. And again, I don't, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time or just starting that out, but I think wherever you are, in the Christian life, we have a lot of desires and hopes. We want to, have, we want to experience God's love. 
Right? If you're a Christian, you want to experience God's love. You want to experience God's peace in your life. That's a very common prayer that we pray, that we would be able to experience God's peace. We want to experience hope in life. We don't want to be despairing and depressed. We want to be able to have some sort of confidence. We want to experience comfort. You're suffering in various ways, right? We want to be able to experience God's comfort. We want to be able to experience growth. Maybe, maybe that's why you're even here today, that we want to grow. We don't want to stay the same. We talked about that a lot last week. We want to be able to grow. We want to be able to persevere and endure in life, not just have a little bit of stuff come in and then we're totally thrown off. We want to be able to experience forgiveness and the removal of shame, not to just live in our guilt. We want to be able to experience joy. There's a lot of stuff, right? I could keep listing things, but there's a lot of things that we say, I want to be able to experience this. I hope to receive this in the Christian life. I hope to be able to receive this from God. And we try to get it. We try to get it by reading the Bible, try to get it by praying, try to get it sometimes even by coming to church and, and, and taking notes and engaging with God in some kind of way, try to work on things. And all of that stuff can be helpful, but a lot of times it still is elusive. We desire all of these things in the Christian life, but a lot of times we still miss it. And here's why. And you need to know this, whether you're kind of just beginning your faith or, or if you've been in it a long time and, and those things that I talked about, you want and kind of feel, I'm not quite accessing it as much as I desire. It's often elusive because we try to get it by ourselves. We try to get it engaging just us and God. And yet the Bible says that that's mainly going to come to us through others. It's mainly going to come to us through community. So look at this next passage that really encapsulates a lot of the things that I, that I just described. And, and this is the next section of what we, what we just looked at. They're added to the number. And we already read the first line. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the koinonia, the sharing, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Don't you want to be in awe of God? Not just have a kind of a passive relationship, but really feel an awe of God? And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles to experience God's power in our lives. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings. We're going to do that in a minute. I'm just kidding. And distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord, again, that language, added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This really gives that picture of what we desire to experience. Awe, God's power in our life, gratefulness, generosity, God's provision, God's, God's providing for us, being able to see God actively at work, being able to learn and grow. There's all sorts of things that are included in this passage that then are spelled out in the rest of the New Testament where we desire these things from God. And he says, you know where it mainly comes? It's gonna come not just you by yourself. It's gonna come as you're a part of this. It's gonna come as you are a part of the community. Look at all these kind of lang plural language. They, fellowship, all who believed, 
together, common, they, their, all, any. I'm not going to keep reading them all, but I, I just highlight those that you see. This is not a picture of individuals receiving individual kind of goods for their personal development. It's a picture of a community that God is saying, here is what I want to put you into. Here is where you're going to experience all that you want to experience in the Christian life and from me. See, if you think about it, even later, the Bible uses the language, I said this before, but the body of Christ. If you want to encounter Jesus today, his physical body is not here. Now, that'd be great. It'd be great to be able to walk up to Jesus's body, his physical presence, and say, I'd like to talk to you. I've got some issues I'm struggling with. I'd like to receive some comfort from you, Jesus' body. I'd like to um, hear your voice, encourage me in some things. I'd like some peace. And Jesus says, my physical body is not here in the same way. Now, if you want to encounter my body, my body is the church. And thus, all the things that we want to experience and receive from God, love, joy, comfort, peace, direction, guidance, growth, conviction. He says that doesn't just come as you engage with me directly. It comes as you're a part of this. It comes as you experience my body here on earth. Listen, we already know this in so many ways with relationships. When's the time in your life that you experienced God's love the most? When's the time in your life that you experienced God's comfort the most. Maybe for you, it was by yourself reading the Bible. Maybe. But probably, and I know this is true for me, the times I've most experienced God's comfort have come from other people. I'm suffering. I'm going through something hard. And somebody else encouraged me. Somebody else spends time with me. Somebody else puts their hand on my shoulder. Somebody else gives me a hug. And I experience God's comfort, which is what I want in the Christian life. But I experience it through other people. Probably the times you felt the most encouraged by God, which we want, didn't just come from a Bible verse. Maybe, but it may be more probably it came through somebody else speaking God's word to you. Somebody else writing you a note and encouraging you. Somebody saying, man, I see this in your life and, and I want to encourage you. We probably received it from others. We have a generous God. But probably the times that you've most experienced God's generosity isn't just that you walked to your mailbox and there was a check that said, from God. And you're like, wow, thanks, God. But probably some of his people were generous to you and you said, man, I've got a generous God. See, God wants you to experience all that he is, but the way that he does that primarily, mainly right now, is through his people, through his body. And God wants us to live in his love. God doesn't just want you to know his love. God doesn't, even though we've talked about this, God doesn't even just want you to experience directly his love poured out into your hearts from him. He wants you to tangibly live in it from his people. He wants to drop you into a community like this where you actually live in his love. You actually live in his character. Okay, God, you're a God of comfort and peace and encouragement and growth and generosity and, and all. Okay, how? How do I get it? His answer isn't just read your Bible, pray. That's part of it. But his answer is, let me put you into a community 
where I dwell by my Holy Spirit in these people, and this is my body. I want you to live in my love. Faith, hear me right on this, faith is not enough. And I'm not talking about for salvation. I'm talking about for just your belief in God. Faith is not enough. God wants more for you than that. He wants you to actually experience who he is tangibly through other people. And that's found mainly with others. So that's the first thing, why we need community. Second is this, life is hard. Life is hard. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. God brings things into our life that are hard. The world around us is hard. Our jobs might be hard. Our our marriages, our, our parenting might be hard. Our schooling might be hard. Moving to a new city is hard. All sorts of stuff in life is hard. Life is difficult. And being a Christian, maintaining your faith, loving God, loving others, persevering, growing, being a Christian is hard. Staying a Christian is hard. When there's so many temptations and so many things around us and, and living life growing as a Christian is hard. It's, it's not easy. Maybe some of you feel that very acutely. It's not easy. The problem is, the problem is oftentimes though, and we've been saying this, what we think it means to be a Christian is to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, I want each of us to have a personal encounter with God if we, just, if we mean it like that. But oftentimes when we say personal relationship, we mean it's between me and God. We even use that language often in various things of our life. This is between me and God, and this is between me and God, and this is kind of a very private thing between me and God. And we often think of Christianity as a personal relationship. You know, that language didn't even come into vogue until the 70s. Google has a tool that you can use where it tracks throughout literature how a certain phrase or word is used. And personal relation, I don't know what was going on in the 1910s here, but some, you know, guy, futurist ahead of the curve that was saying it. But it wasn't until the 1970s, really, that that language began to take off. That's not how it's historically been understood of what it means to be a Christian. Ask most people today, what does it mean to be a Christian? This is probably going to be in the top definitions. But that is only, that's only 70s. And what, what good did the 70s ever produce, you know? I mean, disco and I don't know. What, else, what others? I mean, I'm not, I'm not anti-70. Don't, don't, you know, get on me if you love the 70s. But that's not how the Bible talks about it. You don't find that phrase in the Bible. That's not how church history throughout time understood what it means to relate to God. It's a family. It's being a part of a community. My second point on this is that life is hard. And if we understand it as a personal relationship with Jesus, what oftentimes happens, and I've seen this time and time again in the church, is when life's pressures heat up, we actually pull away from community and think, I need to focus on me and God. The more, that, the more that there's stuff in your life that gets hard, sometimes you might even say, I need a break from community. The more that life's pressures increase, the more that temptation, in, so many times, the, the times in our life that we most need wisdom, that we most need growth, that we most need comfort, that we most need challenge and correction, that we most need direction are the times that we actually say, now I just need to focus on me. And me and God will deal with this. God says, life is hard. 
And what you need is community. Again, hear me right on this. I'm not, there's, a, there's a bad way this could be said, but I think it's important to even just say it strongly so you can hear it like this. God says, God says, I am not enough for you. That's never how God intends for us to relate. God says, you need more than just me. Even, again, that we looked at this. Peter says, be saved from this corrupt generation. And then look at that word. So, what happened? In order to be saved from the corrupt generation, or we could look at that, in order to live a different kind of life, in order to be a different kind of person, in order to not adopt the values of the world around us, in order to follow Jesus, in order to know God, in order to have a different kind of life, be saved from this corrupt generation, so they were baptized, which was not just an individual private experience, it was the entrance right into the community, a kind of spiritual hazing or initiation right in some sense, and they were added to them. Be saved from this, be a part of this. You won't be able to be different from this on your own. You won't be able to live the life that God wants you to experience by yourself. You need to be added to something. You need to be added to my people because what forms and changes us and develops us more than just teaching, more than just lectures, more than just personal study is the community that we are a part of. The most formative thing in our lives is the community that we are a part of. That's why even though you hate it, you go, I'm just like my mom. I'm just like my dad. And it's not because they sat you down and said, here's 30 ways to be like me. Now, maybe they did. But, and then maybe that's why you hate them. But you, it's, it's probably not because of that. It's because what, we hear this language before, that things are caught, not just taught. The community that you are a part of, for good and for bad, shapes you. And not to knock moms and dads, there's also other parts that you're like, man, I'm so thankful that I'm like this. In marriage counseling, a lot of times, it's just saying, hey, your parents did marriage like this and your parents did marriage like this and you don't even realize the different things that you bring into this marriage together because you were just shaped and formed by them. You caught it. No one ever taught it to you. The most formative thing in our life that shapes us the most is the community that we are a part of, for good and for bad. And that's true with God as well. That's true with Jesus as well. That's true with your faith as well. I can teach you things, and that's a part of being a part of a community. I can teach you things, but the most formative aspect in your life is going to be the people that you are a part of, if you allow it. And God knows that. So when he says, life is hard, and I want you to be saved from a corrupt generation, he doesn't just say, so here's how to, 10 ways to not live corrupt. He says, I need to add you to a community of people that will form, that will form you. There, there was some research done a few years ago that I think is really interesting that just kind of talks about various aspects of our faith and how those things actually develop. And there's things that you would say, man, I, wanna, I, I would like to read my Bible more. I would like to pray more. Maybe I'd like to talk to people that don't know Jesus more. There's all sorts of things that we know we should do or we have desires to do, but we find it difficult to do. But the more that we are a part of a community that does those things, the more that we do them. 
So I'm not going to read every single one of these, but I, I just want to show you this was from like a, a major nationwide uh, research center that, that did these. I intentionally spent time with other believers in order to help them grow in their faith. People that did not attend a group, think like a community group, it's what we call them here, a small group, 22%. 63% that attended a group four times a month said they do that. I've developed significant relationships with people at my church, 57%. 89%. I'm intentionally putting my spiritual gifts to use. 42%, 73%. Throughout the day, I find myself thinking about biblical truths. Maybe you want to do that more. You find it, maybe sometimes I've talked to people before. It's like, man, it's Sunday. I think about stuff, obviously. And then the next Sunday, I think about stuff, but it's hard to just have God in my mind all the time. 45% said they did that if they didn't attend a group. 74% if they attended a group four times a month or more. You see, the, the drastic increase that happens with the things that we would say, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be like that. I want to grow in that way. If these things were true in my life, that would be great. So I'll go read a book about it. I'll just try harder to do it. But really, what makes the difference is when we're a part of a community that shapes us. Here's just a little bit more. If These are kind of spiritual disciplines. Reading the Bible, 27%, 67%. Praying for my church, 30, 64. Studying the Bible, 10, 42. See, even those things that oftentimes we define very individualistically and private, and I want to grow in this, and I want to work on this. Pray for the spiritual status of people who are not professing Christians, 35, 60. Confess my sin, 54, 79. God knows to live as a Christian is hard. And he wants to shape us. He wants to form us. And you know what he's saying? You're not alone. I don't want you to handle this alone. I don't want you to do life alone. I want you, God says, I want you to experience all that I am. I want you to experience all that I am for you and to you. I want you to be able to have all of it. And it comes as you relate with my people. That the Christian life is the community life. Next, what does community actually look like? What does community look like? And again, I'm kind of telling you, I'm giving you overview on those things and could dig into each of these more. And some of you have heard some of this stuff before, so it's a reminder, but it's always helpful, as Peter said last week, to be reminded all the time. And in this passage that we looked at are the seeds that we see flower throughout the rest of the New Testament. So even in this initial passage, when the church gets started, you see it there. And then... As you read the rest of the New Testament and all the letters, you see it more and more begin to happen. More and more begin to take place. Here's what we can see here of what community looks like. First, look at this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they attended the temple together. And this is just kind of focused on there's growth that's taking place. They're, they're devoting themselves to teaching. They are learning and growing. Attending the temple together would be attending church together. They're learning. They are growing. And when it uses that word koinonia or sharing, one of the kind of tools that we use here is to talk about uh, the sharing circle, which I know sort of sounds like something you had in preschool or kindergarten, but it's, um, it's talking about that we share various aspects of our life that you see in that passage, that we share who we are with one another. We allow other people to actually see our life and what happens through that, the effect of that, is that we are built up into something more. That we are growing. 
that we are experiencing more and more of what God says and what he wants to do in our life, that we are gathering together and experiencing more and more of God building us up into who he's designed us to be. If you were here last week when we talked about growth and Peter saying there's more that God wants you to experience in in love and in knowing me and in service and all these different things, that as we share who we are with one another, is I let you see me and you let me see you in community and we get to know each other and we see the faults and we see the areas of growth, what happens is God uses that to build us up into who he's called us to be. And so all throughout the New Testament, you see this language that says, you are not responsible only for your growth, but you're responsible for the growth of those around you. And your issues are not your issues. God has put you in a community to refine us and build us up into who he has designed us to be, that God desires us to experience growth. And he doesn't just say, handle it by yourself. He says, you need other people. And we have in our church uh, community groups that are part of that, and then smaller groups called LTGs, life transformation groups, that help you even more so experience the building, the transformation that God wants to do in your life. We'll talk about this more actually in another sermon, so I'll, I'll, I'll move on from that. But then we also see this. They had all things in common. They're selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That they, they share, and that leads to building, but it, they also share what they have. That leads to them serving each other. Listen, they said, nothing is my own. Isn't that amazing? To say, nothing belongs to me. I just know it's been given by God to steward. God's given me what I have, not for my personal property and my personal rights. He's given it to me to serve the people around me. He's given it to me so that I can be a blessing to the community around me. I mean, there's a radical serving that takes place if people actually sell their property. Have you ever sold your property to bless another Christian? Have you ever looked at someone in need and said, I'm going to sell my house to bless you. I mean, that's radical serving that's going on where they are saying, I, I am not viewing it as mine. I'm viewing it as a gift and I'm using it to serve others. I'm sharing what I have, which means my time, my money, my resources, my gifts, my stuff. This is a radical picture of serving. They had all things in common. They distributed as people had need. It's a serving that's not a project and listen, it's not bad to have projects. It's not bad to say, hey, let's all rally around this thing. But it's a serving that's, that's not a project. Rather, it is a quality. It's the quality of their community. A community where literally no one has needs. That's not no one has wants. I mean, I want some of the things in this room. But that's not, it's saying, it's saying there's a community where there's no needs. Where people are taken care of. We believe that we have a God that provides Normally, he doesn't just drop things out of the sky. He does it through his people, believing and living that out. A community that serves and shares what they have, that is gracious. See, it's, it takes grace to say, I have this, I'm gonna give it to you. That's not people deserved it. It's not reciprocal. It's saying, I'm giving this to you because I see your need. It's intentional also. It's not random acts of kindness. It's saying, I'm intentional. I see needs in your life and I'm serving you. The way we do this here is, I mean, if you're in a community group, you should bring your needs to the table. Say, I need to pay rent. I need help. I have medical bills. I need help. I'm sick. I need help. 
And, and other people there, I mean, you, sometimes you got to share so people know, but other people there proactively seek to serve. We want to be a community here where there's literally no needs. That if you are a part of one of our community groups, you share your needs and people meet those needs. That's what gets created here. And then you also see a community that is actually living together. All who believed were together. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. That's they're spending time here and they're spending time eating together in their homes. That's daily interaction. It's not just sharing, here's who I am, help me grow. It's not just kind of a a charity where we meet needs. But they're actually living life together. They're sharing what they do. They're eating together and having fun together and, and, I mean, having meals and celebrating together. That we want to be a community where you can actually experience friendship. Where you can actually, you can actually have people where you are, maybe not day by day, literally every single day. You might not want that. But where you actually have people to be a part of your life. You actually have people that you can enjoy life with. Sometimes Christians use that term, doing life together. And a lot of times that's kind of what they mean is this, that day by day. We're eating together and we're celebrating together and we're having fun together. That's not an automatic thing. It doesn't just happen like that, but it happens through day by day. It happens through a consistent interaction that builds relationship over time. Sometimes we idealize, man, yes, I want that community. I want that. That's so awesome. And I don't have it. You all are messing this up. I love the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and Attempted assassin of Hitler, which, you know, if you've got that in your bio, listen to what someone says. And he says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. I love that. If we just love our vision of community, even the vision that I'm presenting today, and go, yeah, that's what I want, and judge everybody around us by it, that will actually destroy community. But if we just get to work loving the people around us, if we just get to work saying, you know what? Maybe you're not the friend that I always thought would be my friend, but I'm going to love you. That, day by day, creates community. And then the last one that we see in this is just, we, again, these are just the seeds. I think as you go throughout the rest of the New Testament, you see all of this expanded upon. But it says the Lord added to their number day by day. This was 3,000 people. And then it says the Lord added to their number day by day. Now that sounds exciting, right? Be like, man, there was a bunch of us and then every single day there's more people. That's so cool. It's also a little messy. Like some of you have a few kids. What if day by day a new child was added? That would get a little messy, right? And that gets messy here. I mean, and it's not all the same kinds of people. So we say that we want to be a community that is including, that is adding day by day. It's not just a closed circle, us for no more community, but a community where new people can be added in. That we are sharing all of these things and we're sharing it with others or with all kinds of people. The church should be a place where Republicans and Democrats can sit side by side and be bonded by their love of Jesus, not politics or party. The church should be a place where black and white and brown and yellow and all sorts of colors can sit side by side and say, you're different, I wanna understand. The church should be a place where rich and poor, where single and married, where weirdo and cool can sit side by side. (laughs) Well, that's the one you thought was funny. All the rest, you're like, yes, weirdos and cool, never gonna happen, you know. 
It's back to high school, right? Where skaters and preps can sit side by side. Where goss, I mean, okay, I'm gonna, I, I, I can't keep going, okay? But really, it should be a place where it's, I mean, the Lord added to their number day by day. And that is some of what historically people noticed about the early church that was bizarre. Saying you're not just a group of this, you're a group of I don't even know what. And still today, that is unique, even, even in our city. If you go to one of our community groups and there's people with six kids and there's people with, that are single and there's people that are making this much and people that are making this much, there's not a lot of things in our city that bring people together very different like that. And what happened in the church is God added to their number day by day. That God welcomes us in to be bonded by him not about all the other affinities that we naturally are bonded by. Now, here's the last thing that I want us to just look at and we'll close out. How do we get it? Because that might sound great. It might sound great to have this family that is koinonia, that's sharing, that belongs to each other, that we need, we're experiencing living in God's love and actually helped to escape from a corrupt generation and live the life God's called us to. That might sound great. And maybe... You're unsure, you haven't joined a community group and haven't, you know, faith is a private thing still for you. And you're like, okay, that sounds great. How, how do we actually get that? Or maybe you're, you're here, you're in a community group, you're, but it still is like, okay, how do I get more of that? Which is great because that's part of what we're saying is there's greater things that God wants to do. Let me just show you these three things that he says really in this passage that kicked it off or this sentence that kicked it off. It says they devoted themselves to three things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when it talks about the apostles' teaching, that didn't, just mean, uh, that didn't just mean the Bible. Because the New Testament, which is the apostles' teaching, wasn't just written. It, w- it wasn't written yet. So when it talks about the apostles' teaching, really, we should read that as the sample of what, they, what, what Peter just taught. Who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Which really is what the rest of the New Testament is. It's written to a community saying, here's, what, here's who Jesus is, here's what he's done, therefore, X, Y, Z. To be devoted to the apostles' teaching means to be devoted to the gospel, who Jesus is and what he has done, which means how did they get this kind of community? It happened as they remembered who he was and what he did for them. How do you become a person that serves others? Well, you read the rest of the New Testament. And again, if I had more time, I'd go through each of these things. But the way that it motivates us and encourages us, it says, look how Jesus looked after your interests. Look how he humbled himself and served you. Look how he gave up everything and became poor to make you rich, not financially, but in him. Look how he served you. Therefore, go and serve others. Look how God has welcomed you. There's, Paul even says, most of you weren't very special, Most of you aren't rich. Most of you aren't that smart. Most of you aren't that, you don't come from a great family. He says, but God chose you. He welcomes you into his family. He says, God has included you, so include others. It goes through building and talks about how God wants, how, how Jesus forgives us of our sin, removes our shame, so we're not defined by our sin anymore, so we're able then to actually receive others' correction that Jesus desires us to experience growth and he gently speaks into our lives so we can gently speak into others' lives. It goes through even with living and talks about how God unites himself to us. 
He, we're not just projects for God. He actually brings us all the way in and says, I want you to actually share in fellowship with me. And so bring other people into your life. See, all those things, to be devoted to the gospel, to remember again and again and again what God has done for you, helps you then to live that out for others. It's what we talked about uh, in the first week, if you remember this picture, that we receive what God has done for us. We have an experience of that in us, and then it comes from us to others. When you remember all that God has done for you, it changes you to be able to give that to others. When you receive his service, you can serve. When you receive his grace, you can be gracious. And listen, this helps us, this dynamic helps us to be better in community, but it also helps us when others aren't giving it to us because we're receiving it from him. Even if no one ever serves you, even if no one's ever generous to you or ever comforting to you, that's not what I want for you, but even if that's the case, you're receiving it from him. And so you're continually able to be filled up to give. That's the first thing. The second thing is it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And we don't often think about that word. We might think about community. We might think about um, being a part of a community. But do you think about being devoted? They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Do you think about, even when we talk about devotions sometimes as a Christian word, I'm going to do my devotions, we mean my private time with God. If you go to community group, you probably don't usually say, I'm going to my devotions right now. Because that just feels weird. And we don't usually say, I'm devoted to you unless it's a, a love song. If you probably looked at the people in your community group and said, you know, I'm so devoted to you. They might go, okay, this is weird. This is getting really weird. They're going to make a Netflix documentary about us real soon. But he says, be devoted to the community. You, you will only experience what you put into something. That's true in all things in life, right? The more that you put into something, the more you receive. And he is saying, devote yourself. Time, energy, devote yourself to the fellowship. You can't dabble in it. If you want to experience all God has for you, and maybe this is, some of you maybe need to hear this. Maybe for some of you, and maybe this is true here at True Life, maybe it's true just in your past kind of Christian experience that you have kind of done community a little bit and then gone, eh, it's never like what Acts says, but maybe you've only dabbled in it. It's like sitting in a hot tub and just wiggling your toes in it and saying, I'm still cold. I don't, I don't get this whole hot tub thing. But he wants you to immerse in it, to be devoted to it. And then lastly is to the breaking of bread and to the prayer. This is what kicks off these three things. Devotion to those three things is what creates that community that we see next. The breaking of bread in the prayers doesn't just mean they sat around breaking bread. Really, what, what commentators will tell you is this is short code for communion and really a Sunday service. That they are devoting themselves to the worship formative practices. They are devoting themselves to this. And again, kind of what I said on community Sometimes I think we, and listen, I'm not trying to rebuke you or come down hard on you. And obviously you're all here, right? So you're here. But sometimes I think we treat this as, as long as everything else lines up, I'll be there. As long as I'm not too tired, not too hungover, I don't have anything else going on. I've got no other activities. The weather's good. The roads are good. 
uh, my hair's good, and I ironed my outfit or whatever before. As long as everything lines up, as long as I don't have a trip, as long as, I, as, long as it's all perfect, then I'll be there. They were devoted to being here. Because this is the formative practice for the church. Listen, I want you to read your Bible. I want you to pray. Our church is doing a fast right now. All those things matter. But this is the formative practice, always has been, for God's people. Even all, since the Old Testament till now. This is the formative practice. It recenters us. It teaches us. It forms our hearts. It changes us. We sit under God's word. We gather together. In the olden days, we, we would have a time of, of saying hi to your neighbor. You know, we, it, it helps you it, in every way. It forms our life in our week, in our heart, in our mind around God. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and the prayers, we tangibly, we'll take communion in a minute. We tangibly experience again God's love for us. We remember Jesus' body broken and his blood shed, and we receive that and remember again. We pray together. All of that, they were devoted. Our relationships matter, community matters. We want them. God wants it for us. And listen, if, if, you, I, I just from my heart want you to hear this. You will be incomplete in your life and in your faith without this. You will be incomplete. You will miss out on so much of what God says he wants to do in your life by yourself. When we take communion, as I just said, we're remembering, listen, we're remembering what Jesus did to give this to us. We're remembering not just what he did to forgive our sins, that's true, but we're remembering what he did to adopt us into a family, to give us brothers and sisters. We're remembering that God himself entered this earth, forgave our sin, cleansed us, and said, you're now my children, and you're my children together. So as you take communion, I want you to think about that. I want you to remember the great gift for you that God gives to you us, all that Jesus gave up to give us a family. You can also use this time to take a next step. You can go to our next step page and you can take some next step, whatever that might be for you. It might be to join a community group. It might be some other step that is on our page. I'm going to pray and then take a minute in your seat and pray. I will also be in the back. If anyone would like to receive prayer for for healing or anything else in your life. Can't promise that God will um, answer all the prayers that we pray, but we can promise to, to pray for you and ask God to be at work. So pray with me and then take time in your seats. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you have loved us and brought us into your family, that you have made us your children that you give to us not just individual relationship, but you give to us a family to be a part of. Lord, thank you that we can be a community that receives from you and then gives to each other. Let that be true of us more and more and more. And even as we take communion here, Lord, would you let those truths go deeper into our heart of who you are and what you've done and what you've created. In your name we pray. Amen.